What's happening, everyone? Welcome to the Paranormies. I'm Johnny Monoxide, and tonight I'm joined by Dogbot. What's up? Not much. Uh, feeling blessed and moderately favored. Nice, nice. Also joining us this evening, take a notes, Jack the Intern. Hello. Hey, what's up? What's happening? Uh, and joining us from Metal Up Your Fash, one Eric Heathnat. What is up, dude? Not a hell of a lot. What's going on, guys? Not much, dude. It's Friday night. Uh, thanks for joining us. We are, we are, well, we have a member of the Metal Up Your Fash crew here, so we are going to be doing a uh, musical-ish episode, but also Swoopy. But first. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But first, before all of that stuff, um, we got a lot of shit posting you did first, right? What is it, 38 minutes? What is it? What, what pisses off Moondog of Tartaria? What is it, 32? How many minutes was it, Jack? 38? Uh, it was 30-something. Yeah, not 33, though. 37 or 38. Well, we, yeah, whatever it takes. No. Right, we only have 30... Seven and thirty seconds left. You know. Yeah, it's not like it's a long time or anything. Well, what's up, Eric? Welcome to the show, dude. Thanks for inviting me, guys. It's I know we've been talking about this for a while, and this is going to be fun. Absolutely. Yeah, man. this is a very in, this is a very interesting subject because when Johnny and I were doing an email episode somebody had brought up, Hey, have you guys checked out blue oyster cult? They have a lot of really weird stuff going on, et cetera, et cetera. And we were like, Nope. I mean, I don't, I, I can't speak I like, for Johnny, but the, nah, extent, was... the extent of my blue oyster cult knowledge was a Saturday night live skit. And the, uh, don't fear the reaper plays every, every hour and a half on classic rock stations. Right. Well, the, the don't fear the reaper is pretty much the only thing I knew. I like Eric. Did you know that the the uh, the Saturday Night Live sketch until I just told you that earlier, or was that news? I knew of the sketch. I didn't realize that was supposed to be Sandy Perlman. Okay, I, yeah, I was, didn't know too much about that. I didn't either. I knew about that was supposed to be the don't fear the reaper uh, recording, but I didn't realize. Yeah, I, until I read these articles and stuff that Sandy Perlman. That was that was the uh, the Christopher Walken guy, and that's where the I got a Bruce Dickinson. Yeah, they, he missed they misquoted him as Bruce Dickinson. That's not but right, but uh, it's supposed to be Sandy Perlman. So anyway, we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, we did a little bit of Blue Oyster Cult right in that one episode a while back. Fucking yeah, and fucking, then uh, fucking. It- and yeah, and then like Sky Saxon, and yeah, 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 you know, we were gonna go to like, you know, uh-huh, Malibu. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, anyway, that reference happened way faster than I even I expected. I mean, holy crap! Whoa! I, hey, hey, this is a very, very fast-paced show. <laughs> Shit posting at very high speed. Okay. I'm gonna have to see if I can keep up. That's all right. You are on the paranormal, right. bro. Um, yeah. We were, we didn't bring up too much of the boys recall, but before we get into the content, before we get into the content, we have um, I have an email that I want to read. It was really cool, sent to me, not the paranormies email, so that you guys didn't get to see it if you check the emails. This guy's this guy said, "Hey Johnny, I had to take a second to send a message. I'm from a town in Maine. <laughs> I'm not gonna say where, but on the Moosehead Trail between Newport and another place. My sister went to Camp Fairhaven back in the mid '80s." That's where I went to camp. I 
might have gone to camp with this guy's sister. He said, did you get permazucked one day? We were talking, LOLing about Robert Zephyr's backstroke, and the next year we're gone. I should really start to use Telegram. Hope you have a great 12-2-21. I'm sure no crazy occult shit is going on behind the curtain today. Kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, his, I might have gone to camp with this dude's sister when I was a kid. Small, okay. Small world, the Paranormies. That's uh, pretty cool. Listener. Yeah, huh? The Paranormies listeners. Yeah, I, I received it. All over the place. Go ahead. What? I'm sorry. I received a very interesting message before we got on tonight. A gentleman named Gus has made an archive channel of all my Chupacabra kennel rants. Yeah. Uh, going back to the very beginning of the channel. And he had, he, had, he had just done that for Alt Skull. And he has also done that for Reinhardt's Ape Mountain stuff. And so I posted a link to mine to the uh, Telegram, uh, the Paranormies Presents Telegram channel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I'm very blessed. Uh, you know, I, this isn't, so, you know, he didn't ask. You know, I, I, I I'm speechless because. Flattered and humbled. Okay. Well, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, he did Skulls this morning. Uh, he got yours, and he did Reinhardt's. That's very cool of him. Um, I don't do voicemails, mess- messages. I just do this show. I feel like I should now. I don't know. Yeah. Should? Well, I mean, you do the show. So. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I get it. I mean, and I work. I don't know. Anyway, work too. I, yeah. That's why I. That's why I don't have as many. As many what? As many as I used to is uh, my because my work schedule. Oh yeah. just, you know I uh, should start doing them. I have that long freaking drive. I should just start doing them on the drive. But my problem is, is in the morning, it's like four o'clock in the morning, and you know doing a coherent voice message at four o'clock in the morning is not exactly, you know, it's not conducive to that. And then after work is the, um, the ride home where, you know, I've been at work for, for 10 hours and I'm just tired. I want to go home. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I won't do them in the truck. I'm not sure. We'll see. Maybe I will be truck rant guy with the Oakley's in the hat backwards. Hat you ever just sit, in, you ever <laughs> just sit in your truck? Yeah. The grand rant. I, I do the I do the just sit in your truck thing all the time. It's actually it's it's a thing. Eric, do you just sit in your truck sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, usually it is uh involving a song that hasn't quite ended yet that I don't wanna even though I could probably just restart Spotify, I just don't want to. So I'll just sit in the car and wait for it to be over. Yeah. There's that. Based. Jack. You well, I mean, I know you you murdered your truck, but uh, you used to just sit in your truck, right? I mean, and flip it. Well, what else would I do with the truck? But uh, yeah, no, the Eric, what's new truck that I do have? I just kind of sit in there and chain smoke. There's something to just sitting in the, the driver's seat of the truck, just sitting there. I don't know what it is. There is something to that, though. Anyway. Um, Amazingly, though, when Jack flipped his truck, he didn't spill his Fago. <laughs> nope, I did not. Yeah, he's good like that, man. I walked past the Fago uh, display again yesterday at the old Ingles. I thought about Jack. They had all of them, dude. They have like yeah eight different flavors, man. 
It's crazy. I've never seen so much Fago. Yo, hook me up with some moon mist. I might have to. I might. I think that the only problem is, is like I don't want to send you a twelve pack of soda for Christmas because it costs me more to ship it than it would to give you the fucking soda. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the I shitty part. Me- I think it's a meme gift. I think that's pretty. That's hilarious. I mean, as a meme gift, it'd be like, cool. Huh, but like, yeah. that's a very, that's a very interesting shaped box. He opens the box. Oh, <laughs> right. Wow, soda. It's a twelve pack of the twelve pack of Fago. Jack would be Jack would be very excited about it. He would he would do the otter thing. Two of them popped up. Two, there's a big stain on the cardboard box because two of them popped open during the shipping. I would the way lose those dogs my that shit. <laughs> if they, yeah, <laughs> right. No. The nice letter that John, the nice, the nice handwritten letter that Johnny sends in there is completely ruined. Oh, implying the that I'm handwriting letters. First of all, what do you, what do you don't implying don't, I can read. First of all, yes, implying implications. Second, uh, yeah, I, I'm not handwriting anybody. Don't don't put that on me. Now I have to handwrite shit. No, you guys get the you guys. Listen, get, that why you have that. Isn't that why you have that multicolored set of calligraphy pens? No, it is why Amazon puts uh, gift receipts in their packages. <laughs> I'm joking. Yes, we're not Amazoning Christmas presents, guys. We don't do that around here. Except to like Skull, because you have to, because he's in Japan. Otherwise, you won't get it until like March. So, anyhow. Um, DB, you. Speaking of Christmas and Christmas presents, wow, what is you, Johnny? The two Jews who were responsible for the shitstorm that was known as the comment section of the uh, YouTube trailer for HBO Max's Santa Inc. Sarah Silverman, Berg, Steenblatt, and uh, Seth Rogaine, um, they had some stuff to say about the comments, didn't they? Yeah, and uh, because we're doing this in a different Skype, I don't have those Twitter. Uh, I don't have those Twitter you, screenshots available. You just click over to the other one, dude. It's Skype. Just click over click to the other over chat. Over to, to the other chat. The other yep. the triple lines one. in the top the left. Triple lines corner. in the left. You'll see all your chest. Are you new to okay, the Okay, uh, the Sarah the Sarah creature says now that Elf. Wait, now that elf is now a new code for Jews, please enjoy all the codes for anti-Semitic shite on the web. She is American. I won't put a trigger warning on it since it's just Jew hatred. People seem okay symbol. W it. Uh, there are 240 characters. There's really no excuse for this anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. This is this is ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's all the Jew hatred. Oh man, because all the people were noticing. And, the, and Seth Rogen. Yeah, yeah. He said uh, we really pissed off tens of thousands of white supremacists with our new show hashtag Santa Inc. And it has the dysgenic elf uh, that pops up automatically when you use that, which is now available on HBO Max. And in parentheses, please read the responses to this tweet for confirmation. And um, there's a combination of things that have led me to believe, bear with me, that all this shit is astroturfed. 
Oh, I don't. The whole thing. The whole thing. Um. Do, um. I think some of. Uh. I think some of. Uh. Hashtag our guy. Hashtag. Uh, you know. Backslash our guy. Backslash guys. Yeah. I think. I think some of them definitely. Uh. Wanted to get involved because they love the dopamine. But I was looking over some of the comments that are still miraculously open in the Santa Inc. trailer on YouTube. And there's just something incredibly inorganic about all of it. Yeah, there's um, the comments and, seem and, a little bit too uh, too perfect, you know. Yeah, some of them are direct quotes from Evola with like, you know, with like a couple words changed right, out right. to be Christmassy. You know, of course, stuff from Himmler and you know, mm-hmm. old uncle. Yeah, there's Adolf. The, there's the one. Uh, listen, right, uh, listen. Here's the, t- the thing. There's the one from. I, uh, I feel like I got to make this uh, oh, disclaimer real quick. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to shit on what people consider a win. Okay, like I know a lot of people out there are really considering the comment section of a YouTube uh, trailer a win. I have issues with your definition of a win, but. I, I'm just I'm just saying there's something that feels incredibly off about the way that it's being allowed. Yeah, it it does. Johnny. I mean, no, I was I was here. I was just waiting for you to finish. You done? Yeah. Okay. Um it does seem like a lot of these comments are inorganic completely. Um, you have a lot of Anne Frank comments, Elf Frank. You have uh, the one where it's from the Elf in Holy Book, which would be there. For, you know, they're talking about like the Talmud. And, you know, instead of Goyim, it's Toyim. That's an easy, easy change. Yeah, it does seem like, um, like I said, the comments seemed really inorganic. And they did get shut down, which which happens a lot on YouTube. So I don't know how you can consider that a very large win. Uh, YouTube is is rather known for for doing the the goyam no shut it down you know so i don't know and the and the pages and pages and pages of the you know the um was it the patients our patients has its limits and all the other but they made them all santa clausy it was very 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 funny very nice and then of course you have the backlash with you know the jews in charge of the whole thing pointing out the jew hatred and the anti-semitism See, all we did was try to make this Christmas movie and these people just shit all over us. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that set me off that this uh, that something smells very fishy here is the lack of response to any of these. There's not some just uh, YouTube comment obsessed libtard in there. Or even like a magatard saying cool it with the racism or, you know, you Nazis suck or something, anything. Yeah, there's anything. none of that. There's, I, I, I looked at some of the top, I looked at some of the top liked, uh, y- you know, like elf Jew joke comments. And e- there will be like eight comments and none of them are people firing back at whoever's making the original comment no and there's there's none of that really and there's a couple of comments that have like 21 replies 23 there's one you you found one uh trailer that's still up 
And there's a couple of comments that have 20 some odd replies. Another one has like 12 replies. One has 17 or whatever. And none of them are, you know, hey, shut the fuck up, Nazis. Hey, you're racist. Oh, that's anti-Semitic. None of that. It was like none. Yeah, they should. Those should be filled with "fuck you, dudes." Mm-hmm. Fuck you, dude. Mm-hmm. Fuck, you know, or or something. Or or or, or Jews being mad. Just oh, what's the matter, goy? You know, like that kind of shit. They do it on Twitter all the time. You deep throat in your tiki torch today. Right. Something. That right. That you kind know. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Ready to get punched, Nazi? That kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, see, and literally none of that. Yeah. I've replied. I've I've made comments a few times on Provax. Uh, propaganda that airs on YouTube, right? And within minutes, within minutes, I have somebody calling me names back. And this is on, this is on the Vax, right? This is supposed to be the hottest, uh, the hottest reply issue is anti-Semitism, correct? I mean, like, sure. I, I, I mean, I just. Uh, they're not deleted. They're still up. That Days one, later, yeah. they're yeah. still up. Uh, the comments are still on for the one trailer. Right. Uh, that's weird. And they're bragging about it. And there's news articles about brigading, which we met, which we talked about on Tuesday, which I've never even heard that term before. Brigading, where just people go in there and troll in mass, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, like we they have a term for it. I didn't know they had a term for yeah, it. Yeah, brigading. It's it's yeah. We used to call it like wolf pack trolling. <laughs> we go in there and be like, well, we, it's trolling, but this is like like uh, same thing. Dropping comments. It's a like poll does this stuff. There was the TRS um, Internet Expeditionary Force that used to do the uh, anti doxing stuff back in the day. When I first, when I very very first got doxed the very first time. Um, these guys went in and made this guy delete his entire life off the internet. It's pretty funny. Well, yeah, I, 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 I'm afraid this is one of those things where people are like dog bots shitting on, you know, something good. No, you're not. I get what I, you're I saying. No, no, I get what you're saying. But of course, the, the thing is, is but of course they're going to put that stuff up there and leave that up there. But how much of that stuff is, hey, what you doing, Rabbi? You know, right. I mean, I mean, there's it's, some comments. It's all, yeah, it's all it's it's, it's the all, Bernie supporter spray painting the the funky looking swastika on the side of the synagogue. Right. I don't know that that's what this is. I'm pretty sure like I, I saw I, I literally saw people I know IRL like on, <laughs> on the YouTube comments. It was pretty freaking funny. I'm like, I, I know that guy. Like, that's a friend of mine. I'm not mentioning his name, but he's in the comments. I'll, I'll tell you guys later, but um, he posted a great comment, and it was something that he would totally say. And then there was another one who is uh, a member of our Paranormies Spoopy Chat, and I recognized his name and his Avi, and I'm like, okay, there's two people. So some of the comments are definitely real. How many of them are Lance? Um, none of them said that they were going to be the next Rudolph Antler, so... Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So it wouldn't have been... Why do you always insist on doing the bit where you give their name airtime at all? Octa Rudolph. That's all you had to say. You could have said Octa Rudolph, and I would have known exactly who you meant. 
Now he's going to be like, they're talking about me on the show. I'm all free, rent free in their head, rent free. As he's, 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 gonna, he's been down to skate park talking to his 14 year old buddies. You know, I have no hard feelings against the guy. He's just a retard. You know, yeah. Pain yeah, the ass pain the ass and a retard. It's okay. But, um, I mean, it's not like, I don't know, man. I, this like, you can tell bot comments, you know, nowadays you can tell bot comments cause there's like so many of them exactly the same. I didn't see too I don't too know, many. man. They're, they're, like there, there, there are sometimes on Twitter where there are bot comments that hit pretty close to home, man. Yeah, pretty close. Like that, that uncanny valley is getting narrower and narrower. I really on certain stuff. I don't experience uncanny valley. I don't get it. So, hmm. yeah, I, I didn't know this was a TV series. What? I thought this was like a a movie, but apparently it's a whole it's a whole TV series. Yeah, they got to uh, get all it's of being it. Called one of the lowest fan rated. Uh, TV series in recent uh, since they started doing the metric, huh? You know, not not like Nielsen ratings, but since they started doing uh, whatever metric. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure that Netflix can tell you exactly how many times uh, a a, sh- a television show or movie or series or whatever has been clicked on and by whom, you know, with IP addresses and all. Huh. That. And I'm pretty sure. So, like, the ever since Netflix has had a thing, I'm pretty sure they know. Anyway, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's very low low ratings. Uh, people are uh, are the goyim are the levels of the goyim knowing uh, achieving uh, maybe like a special holiday miracle, you know, possibly. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe know, so, for Christmas we'll like, get 111. The 100. cynical, jaded Gen Xer normie in me mm. that still that still exists thinks that this is this is also this also reeks of a publicity stunt to draw eyes to a very very terrible show that people weren't going to watch otherwise. Oh, absolutely. Much like the absolutely terrible the interview that he did with his faggot buddy James Franco. They did the same oh, thing. Oh, that was fake banned. That was fake banned but because it was Remember? because it was fake stolen by the fake movie production company or some shit. Remember Sony? Like the, the, the original was stolen or some shit. And it was bootleg and it was released for free on the internet, or I don't remember how it went, but it was really gay. And this is completely up Seth Rogan's alley to do some dumb shit like this for publicity. It was almost that that one was almost as gay as uh Body Counts Cop Killer being uh being discontinued and somehow pulled from the shelves, and yet every music store seemed to have copious copies of it for the next few months. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember. I remember buying that <laughs> because and you it, thought it was banned, right? Right, right, right. It was banned. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, it's still here. Get it now, quick!" Well, of course it's banned. They're not going to get any more. They're going to sell these out, and then they're not going to sell anymore. Yeah, remember. nobody wanted nobody wanted to buy Ice T's ripoff of suicidal tendencies, so they had to generate a fake outrage over it to get people to buy you it. Don't even compare it to a fake suicidal tendencies because it wasn't even like that kind of music. You know, what I mean, it wasn't like skate metal. That's what suicidal. That's the whole the whole image of like gangsters playing metal. Yeah, gangsters playing metal is one thing. That was it was different. They were doing. Like what corn looked like at first, right? But black, 
like corn was kind of like like thug looking at first right fieldy was always wearing like thug shit and wasn't anyways let's not talk about corn we're talking about another band wow Uh, did you like how I did that? 14 more minutes. You guys discussed corn on the last episode where this band was mentioned, too. We did? Yeah, that's what, at the very beginning of it, we mentioned our buddy Hook was going to go, or you guys mentioned that Hook was going to go see corn. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right, yeah. Oh, and I talked about how I don't like Jonathan Davis because he has an H.R. Giger microphone stand. Is it that you don't like him out of jealousy? That's what I was going to say. Jealousy's a motherfucker. I didn't have... I don't have to acknowledge any of that. (laughs) Yeah, uh uh-huh. You don't have to? It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to mention it. You don't have to acknowledge it. It's fine. God, it's such a cool mic stand. It it really is. I can imagine... I would stand stand up and record these episodes if I had that mic stand. Or I'd find a way to like lean it. <laughs> I would, yeah, um, yeah. I I've sat at the table, at Giger's table, with the with the alien chairs. Oh, that one bar in Japan that they that uh, whole thing is all Giger. That That's so down. sick. Yeah, it was only open for like three years, and then it became like a yakuza hangout. And then <laughs> there's one in yeah. there's one in Sweden or Switzerland too. Well, there was, anyways. Yeah, it's right outside of CERN. That's where they, dude. Is Bern? Isn't Bern? They, yeah, Bern. Yeah, after they after they pull up a new demon, they 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 all go and celebrate there. Yeah, right? No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Well, Bern is in Switzerland, right? Jack, look that up. Bern is Switzerland. I'm pretty sure. I have pretty like almost 100 percent positive. I'm pretty sure that's where the bar was. That is hilarious. Yeah, because of course H.R. Giger was involved with. That's where he got the inspiration for the all the portal stuff that he does in his drawings. Jesus. Huh. Interesting. One of his most famous ones is called like the portal. Wasn't it just a vagina? Well, there's a vagina superimposed over a door to a nuclear um, disposal facility. Like a pressurized door. And a vagina superimposed over it. And he does like, there's like 40 different versions of it. He, he does that with like most of his art. He'll take something and then do like 25 different like overlays. All of them yeah, more, he, more disgusting. He, he was really good than, with airbrush. Yeah, very. And, but that's the thing is like every time he would like add another layer to it or take one away, he, he would make it more disturbing and depraved. His art's pretty nasty. But it is yeah. in it's in Switzerland. Okay, thank you, Jack. I thought so. It makes sense, of course. Giger and stuff from Baron. Yeah. I wonder if he's a Jew. H.R. Giger would not surprise me. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't want to have to. Th- is that another one I have to worry about? <laughs> Probably. All I know is he's Swiss, so after a couple episodes of the Paranormies, you definitely got to question that shit at that point. Right. He's Swiss. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're just repeating yourself. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Poof. All right. So we we still have about 10 minutes worth of shit posting if you guys want. If we want to piss off Moondog. Or, or we can give it into the content. I have no, no issue what? with pissing anyone off, so it, it is what <laughs> right. it is. I like, don't care. Like, what, what would Sky Saxon do right now? It, it, 
Oh. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I've not listened to one second of the seeds, so I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Neither um, is anybody else. <laughs> in a long, 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 long time. But you know what I did listen to today that was really good? I listened to um, Secret Treaties by the Blue Oyster Cult. All the way through. Yeah, the Black and White Trilogy. Yep. I, I listened to that one for the first time this morning, uh, all 38 minutes. I, I said I said to myself, we're going to be doing a Blue Oyster Cult episode, and I haven't listened to a single Blue Oyster Cult album. Which one am I going to listen to? Oh, the one with the uh, Messerschmitt jet on the front of it, I yes. think, would be a good idea. Yes, this, this album was supposed to be... Um, Kind of an what an esoteric look at how World War One came to be, basically. Is that, did am I understanding that correctly? Um, here, let me see if it gives anything here. I'm gonna bring up their Wikipedia, see if it says anything special about it. But oh, okay, I know it's the first one where they really started incorporating the uh, Imaginos content, right? in this one um, with songs like, well, dominance and submission was one that they were going to use for it. Uh, career of evil. Also astronomy, flaming telepaths. Some of those songs on there were going to be used for the big project that was supposed to come out. So, so yeah. blue oyster cult is, I mean, like we talked about it a little bit before they're very, very esoteric all of their stuff i mean like the artwork um the lyrics the people themselves they all like funky their manager gave them all weird names um there's a lot of weird mystery stuff surrounding them in general but mostly it was because of uh their manager guy the sandy perlman the jew couldn't have much more of a jewy name than sandy perlman <laughs> that's right what was his name? Uh, Samuel Clark Perlman or something? Was it Samuel? Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, if I remember correctly, yeah. So, so Sandy Perlman was known for being into conspiracy-related stuff at a time when, even though there were a lot of very permissible things in these different crowds, uh, the stuff that he liked to talk about still put people off. Yeah. And apparently he was obsessed with uh he was obsessed with Nazi Germany and and things that happened in World War Two. <laughs> uh, what what blew me away from the entire thing is I'd never even heard of a band that uh took their marching orders of what they wrote and and like how they wrote their songs from some guy that wasn't even in the band. Well, he was in you the know, band like, for a like, minute. Like, like he was, he was. Didn't he try to sing first? He was like the first singer. Yeah, he was gonna be a vocalist, and then that didn't work out. Yeah, right. So, so there's this guy that shows up. It, like, there's a band that practices and makes music together, and then there's this guy that shows up, and he's got like a spiral notebook, and he says, "You're gonna write my songs, <laughs> and I'm oh. gonna direct everything about you. I'm gonna." I'm going to direct what you wear, uh, what what goes on stage, what your band name is, 
I've you, never ever heard of anything like that before. Dude, you're literally describing every band ever. That's how it goes. You want to be famous? You're going to do exactly what we say, exactly how we do it, say to do it. And then, you know. I mean, to be fair, most of the songs that he is credited on are co-written, not just music or the music is co-written by the band, but even the lyrics were co-written by him and members of the band. So it was it was still kind of a, a cohesive group. He just wasn't an active member on the on the stage with them when they would play. Yeah, he's but, kind of a he's extremely important to the band. I mean, he's like the producer mm-hmm. and like the reason why they did all the stuff that they did. You know, and what you mentioned, DB, you mentioned the uh, his obsession with uh, with conspiracy and the occult and stuff. In that Imaginos um, documentary, the more I listen to it, the more I don't like the way the narrator narrates it. Other than the uptalk? Other than the uptalk. It's the way that he puts his emphasis on things. Like he said, as he, you know, uh, he developed a childish obsession with conspiracy theories. He said a childish obsession. Like I did listen to that first 15 minutes or so of the documentary. And I was like, yeah, he does say that, doesn't he? I missed that before. Yep. And like that kind of stuff. And it gives you just, just from him saying that it changes the way you're, it changes the way you're, you're listening to it a little bit. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, that's right. Childish. Yeah. Conspiracies are childish. That's right. They're childish. And the occult is childish. Which it's completely not. <laughs> Definitely but, not. Right, but he used to hang out at, um, uh, let me see, it's called the Warlock Shop, S-H-O-P-P-E, old school english style. It was an occult bookstore, the first Wiccan witchcraft bookstore in, in New York City. And New York City was like the polar opposite of um, what the Bay Area was. So... Well, they say this, like, if the Aquarian spirit of the late 60s essentially kept its sunny disposition in California New Age mysticism, its East Coast counterpart found a distinctly darker expression, with the OTO rising to pole position among their, the welter, excuse me, the welter of witch cults that popped up like mushrooms after a rainstorm in New York. <laughs> For you. There you go. So, yeah, so New York... It's where uh, Sandy Perlman, uh, he went to Stony, was it Stony Brook University? And Stony Brook is a uh, CIA Tavistock school. It's right near New York City. So you got to have your CIA base for all your mind control operations. They always have a college, big college right near the big city areas. In the Bay Area, it's Stanford. In New York City, it's, uh, it's Stony Brook. So it makes sense that they came out of Stony Brook. They were all college students together at Stony Brook University. Supposedly. Any yeah. any, uh, any famous military dads? Probably. Actually, I didn't look into that part. Probably. Has to be, right? You think so? I mean, yeah. I mean, weird. they. They started off with the name like Soft White Underbelly, which was a which was a reference to um, Winston Churchill. Right. Yeah, I'm talking about the Italians. Mm-hmm. So do you have a soft possible. white underbelly, Johnny? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of personal. 
I don't want to talk about it right now on the show. I'm I'm working on it, okay? <laughs> and it's okay. wintertime. So, so trying tan, to make it a hard, a hard white underbelly. That's right. The tan is gone because it's wintertime. I'm back to being completely white. Awesome. Yeah. Well, in the summertime, like parts of my body get really tan because they're outside all the time. You know, and the other, some yeah. other parts of me are still really white. Anyway, do you go to the do you go to the pool with your shirt on? No, I mean yes, yes but then I take oh, it off when I get there. Asking me, yeah. okay. Yeah, when I, Both I mean, you. yes, but then when I get there, I take it off. What about you, Eric? Do you go to the pool okay. with your shirt on? I I burn opening the refrigerator. Oh really? Um, so yeah, I'm very wow. pale. I I don't. It's hard for me to tan. It's either pale or burnt. That's as far as it goes. Oh wow. Sorry, to that's hear that. that's my Scandinavian side and just like pale as fuck well that's not a bad thing but it is if you're in a well you don't live in like a really hot state do you like you don't get uh depends we do get all four seasons here but it can be very very humid and shit during the summer so it can be that's not like you're in florida where it's just like you just get set on fire walking out to the car yeah, that, that yeah. Florida. Yeah. The right. sun, the sun. You get burned really bad if in Florida if you're I get burnt every time I go to Florida and I'm half Italian. So like, <laughs> you know, like whatever percent black that you guys want to call me. No, no, I, nobody said that. I know. Nobody I'm just, nobody said that Italians it was were part two. black. Oh, sorry, I was doing the math. There's, yeah, there's 2%. No. There's none. I like my 23 and me has gone from the obligatory 2% down to the 0.2% to the negligible. So. I don't care. It's fine. Either way. I don't. It doesn't matter anyways. Those things are like if you believe you're 23 and me. Like those people don't have access to everything that you've ever looked at or talked about on the Internet with whoever. They know who your family is already. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I mean. Yeah. They're just confirming biases. People- or or adding like adding some some black in there, just like you know, just to just to piss off the racist. Or yeah, or whatever. Anyways, back to Blue Oyster Cult and the esoteric occult stuff. So yeah, I'm trying to figure out if they've got any sort of military industrial complex connections. I at that did see that. Uh, Buck Dharma has a chemical engineering degree. I did find that. I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but huh. that's the only college degree I've been able to find from anybody. Interesting. At least of the original ones anyway. Right. But that's that's interesting that he had an actual degree like that. And he's there. Buck Dharma's the guitar player, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's the guy. in. He's a, he's a big mustache kind of mullet. <laughs> Typical 70s. Yeah, not, yeah. not as much anymore, but yeah, back in the day he did. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys rocked some serious mustaches back in the day. All seventies rock bands uh, seem to be able to procure a very decent mustache, right? Then you get uh, Eric Bloom's uh, curly afro thingamajig that he had going on. Yeah, was he a, was he like an octoroon or a quadroon or a mulatto? Uh, let's see if it says anything. Black, black? I, only thing I could find on him. Or was he part Jew? So it's a Jew fro. It's possible blue. Maybe. 
Eric J. Bloom is his real name. Mm. Well, Eric is definitely, you know, definitely been used as a Jewish name before. I know Whoa. Jews named. I'm not I didn't to guess, man. Come on. <laughs> well, What's I that? spelled mine with a K, so it's fine. Oh, that's right. I forgot that yours is with a K. Yeah. No. Yeah, um, I forgot that the no, guest name was Eric. No, I'm joking. Or you went off on like Eric is a Jewy name. No, I didn't say it's a Jewy <laughs> name. I said it's been used. There's the uh the who are the fucking idiots from uh Joe Rogan's little group there? There's one the one of the the was it the Weinstein brothers? Not the Weinstein brothers. <clears throat> well, there's Eric Weinstein and then there's uh from the Dork Web, the intellectual dork web or whatever they call themselves. Uh, Brett and Eric uh, yeah. Weinstein. Weinstein. Yeah. yeah, those two, yeah. And then there's another Eric something, so sorry. Yours is with a K, though. Trust me, it's still not the worst thing I've ever been called on a podcast, so whatever. Oh, right on. <laughs> I mean, the mean stuff we say to each other on Metal Up Your Fash, it's... Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you're fine. I mean, I'm uh, just so glad that I'm just so glad that the demos you send us, you know, actually sound like you understand production. And I don't, which is amazing. <laughs> I'm just like, man, that sounds all right. I'm gonna just send that one out. What the hell? Wow, even when I, you're just faking it, it's better than. Never mind. <laughs> better than ninety percent of stuff that comes out of places that maybe my family came from. Is that uh, where you're going? Like Venice Beach? Uh, what? Uh, no, no, I was gonna no, say. Whoa, like, whoa, whoa, and then, all right, stop, 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 stop. Stop with the stop with the Venice Beach and all that kind of stuff. Unless we're talking about Sandy Perlman going to Venice Beach. Did he go, Did Sandy Perlman go to Venice Beach during some of his uh, esoteric wanderings? I'm pretty sure. I don't know, but I I did hear on something today. It was an interview with one of the um, crap. What the hell's her name? It was the um, the Bouchard, Bouchard brothers or whatever. I can't remember which one it was. I listened to. Um, he said that Sandy Perlman spent some time in San Francisco hmm. um, during the late 60s. So who knows with that? There's as hush hush as that guy was. You'll never know what he found out out there. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, San Francisco is, you know, famous for lots of occult stuff. You get to the Bohemian Grove. You got all kinds of stuff up there. Mm hmm. So yeah, who knows what Sandy Perlman was? Um, what secret orders he was in, um, inducted into, initiated into while he was up there? Maybe he's up in the woods doing all that faggy stuff like uh, Nixon talks about. <laughs> I did hear an interesting uh, thing on that podcast as well that I was listening to that uh, they had had some connections with Brian Adams, which. I would assume since Brian Adams is kind of similar to guys like uh, Jackson Brown and people like that, he might have they might have had some connection through that as well. But they didn't really, of course, go into that too much. Oh, I don't yeah. know much about uh, Brian Adams' history, but he might have had some connections to people out there as well. Right. Well, he he was connected to a lot of stuff. He he did stuff with the punk scene afterwards too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, he, he yeah, died he, uh, in... he's the one that he's the one that made Clash the Clash Poppy. Yeah, I, saw, I was looking at the stuff with the Clash with him, and it was like really, really kind of weird. 
Um, well, yeah, they they were trying to do like a reggae thing, which was a which was a very popular with Brits in the early '80s. Uh, was trying to put some Jamaican influence into their their punk or new wave music, and uh, Sandy Perlman's like, no, fuck that. Uh, <laughs> let's put you on MTV and uh, make you a pop band. Well. He did, yeah, because he recorded the, what was the album? The Dictators Go Girl Crazy. And then uh, the second album, well, that was, oh, I'm sorry, that was that was one of the earliest albums to be considered punk rock in general. So The Dictators Go Girl Crazy. And then he produced uh, Give Him Enough Rope by The Clash in 1978. Hmm. So I don't know anything off of that album, actually. I never listened to the Clash. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't really when I was a kid. care about the Clash. They is that the singer? The little weird little yeah, it is. I think I don't know. There's I gotta put this picture in the chat. This is this is ridiculous. <laughs> you guys gotta see this. Well, Eric, I think you can see it because you have that. You have that. Uh, do you have that? What do you call it? Opened up the um that blog. Te- oh, Telegram. No, that blog that I sent the the oh um, yeah secret yeah, history yeah. rock and roll. Look yeah. at the picture of the Clash. Look at that nerdy uh, little fucker in the front with the nunchucks. Like, what are you, what are you doing with that? Oh nunchucks? shit! I didn't, I didn't even realize that's who that was. I was just kind of scrolling through, reading. I wasn't looking at the uh, at the uh, captions under the pictures. But yeah, that's, that's the Clash. I didn't. Re- yeah. And wow. Like, yeah, dude, Anglo supremacy, bro. Look at those guys. That is some what the f- That is some dysgenic looking faces if I've ever fucking seen them. Holy cow. Yeah, don't put Yeah, don't put that off on being Anglo. They're all from England. Yeah. They're Anglos. They are like the perfect representation of what the 80s Anglos look like. Dude, half the cast of The Sopranos are some of the most dysgenic looking motherfuckers on the planet. Yeah, and 90% of them aren't even Italian. <laughs> That's, like, they don't put Italians in Italian. Like, Gen- Gandolfino is probably the only one. The other ones are, like, Armenian, and you got Van Zant. You know? Okay. I mean... Dude, those are ugly. Those are some ugly motherfuckers, dude. Seriously, look at that. I mean, they don't look healthy. Anyways, they're also in a rock band in the '80s, so there's probably a lot of cocaine going around and other things. So, yeah, it's funny. I I actually enjoy the Clash. I had no idea that's what they look like, though. Yeah, dude. I uh, you know I'm a little a little saddened. I'm really hoping the guy with the nunchucks is not the singer. Yeah, he's totally the singer. Totally, yeah, he's up front. Right? Is he? This, he's got to be the singer. Yeah. See, I don't like London. Like, just, I, don't, I can't do it anymore. Like, I can't take this serious. Who's the guy that went on to start Big Audio Dynamite? Which guy from the class? Is that Joe Strummer? Uh, Joe Strummer. Yeah, that's the guy on the left. That's Joe Who's Strummer. the other guy? The guy that made all the music. What do you mean? I don't think it was Joe Strummer. No. 
Jack, he's can the you only look one up, I can, can you look up the band members of Big Audio Dynamite, please? He's the only one whose name I can remember. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm trying having to think. a brain fart here, but that's okay. Remember. Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about these. Let's talk about these lyrics from um, this album, Secret Treaties, which is interesting enough. Um, we talk about you know the, the Antarctic Treaty, and you got a German plane talking about secret treaties. And you got a you know World War was that a World War One Messerschmitt two World War Two? Oh, that's two World, World War Two, right? But we, yeah, it, the the cover of Secret Treaties is the band hanging out on a Messerschmitt uh, two two eighty two two sixty two two sixty two two sixty two. I should know that. And uh, Death is piloting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then in the background, there's some dudes with sombreros. <laughs> yeah, I don't get the guys in sombreros. You're doing the German thing, and you got two Mexicans in the back there. Yeah, you got some Tartarian buildings in the background, and yep. you got German shepherds up front with the with the band. To reiterate and ironically, the German theme. <laughs> ironically, on the back of the vinyl... There's a Messerschmitt from the different angle, and the dogs have all been killed, and the band is gone. I don't know that I like that. Now that's I don't from, like I don't like that the German shepherds are dead, but yeah, they're also drawings. So I'm trying to right, like, right, right, yeah, you know, not get that bent out of shape about no, no, no. Drawings. I get what you're saying, but still, that's just kind of fucked up art. There's no reason for that, you know. <laughs> Do you think there is one band member that's like, oh, man, why, why'd you kill the dogs? There has to be. And it's like the dumb bass player. Oh, man. Because the bass player is always the dummy, right? That's the joke. I think that was one of the Bruchard brothers. Like one played bass and the other played drums, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, Alan Bruchard played drums and then his brother played bass, I think. Oh, what was the name of the guy that drew all this stuff? Uh, Bill Golick. Billy yeah, Gollick? he's the guy who pulled a disappearing act after uh, these albums came out. Right, yeah. Much like, uh, what did they say? Much like the way that they came up. I forgot what they said. But yeah, he disappeared. He did the artwork. He did the artwork for the, the Black and White trilogy. And then he just vanished. And the artwork is really, really freaking interesting. Um the Freemasonic stuff and you got your Saturn cross and all kinds of symbolism. Yeah. There's just some looking at these album covers. It's just weird. Like the checkerboard floor on tyranny and mutation. Mm-hmm. But okay. Yeah, so back, Back to the lyrics on this um, on this uh, secret treaties. You wanted to talk about a couple of them specifically, right? Yeah the um, the career of evil one. I'm reading over them now, and it's one of those that it just seems like it's a song written about a hitman surgeon of some kind, which is kind of weird. Um, not exactly something you'd necessarily do a song on now. They did this one. Then you had ACDC had a dirty deeds done dirt cheap, where that was about a hitman, And you just don't really get those type of lyrics. But for some reason I thought they were, I have to read them now. 
they don't seem nearly as weird as I thought they were. But uh, the other one is Dominance and Submission, which it's a very weird song about uh, sadomasochism, I'm assuming. Uh, at least that's the way I'm reading it. Uh, kind of weird. Uh, it's just weird. I don't even, it's hard for me to even find the right words to use for this. Yeah. Well, this remind. now that I'm reading these, like I, I, I listened to it on the way home today, the whole, the whole album and the music is good. I like the, the music is great for like rock and roll for that time period. Mm-hmm. Pretty damn good. The bass player holds it down. Like I really enjoy the bass. Um, but now that I'm reading these lyrics, this is what I think you were talking about, Dogbot, when you're like, these guys just like took a fantasy novel, read like kind of thumbed through it, put it back on the little spinny rack, grabbed another one, thumbed through it, put that one back on the spinny rack, and then walked out and wrote a song. Uh, yeah, you know, I was I was listening to Secret Treaties today, and I didn't hate it. Um, not something that I've, I've never really terribly been into a whole lot of classic rock. I liked some stuff like T-Rex and David Bowie and stuff from back in the day, but that's not really considered classic rock, I suppose. But, uh, as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, this is the origin of all those bands that people would play for me that were like prog rock where the lyrics didn't rhyme and it just sounded like they were looking at things and making things up as they went along and it was supposed to be deep. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like this one kind of does that, but at the same time, it's kind of like, they're kind of disturbing the lyrics. I'm sure if I like, okay, the ones, the ones from the Imaginos doc that we watched uh, I was I was paying more attention to those, and I was I was I was I was trying to follow along with the up talking narrator, but I, sometimes I was pausing and just reading them myself, right? And I'm like, okay, there's sort of a story here. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, well, like. I, that's why I guess it took so long for it to, to be put out and whatever, but um, yeah, it was, it was very convoluted and hard to follow. Yeah, it was like it was slowly put together over a decade and then they just threw what they had together hoping to do more and they didn't do more. Yeah. I mean, when other bands do that, I don't know. When other bands do that, you like you get a tool album. Like that's that's what happened, you know? <laughs> pretty much, right? Ten, every ten but, years but, this last one was twenty years ago. But. Yeah, you put out one every fourteen years, but it's that's one album waited on for fourteen years, not here's this, here's this, here's no, this, know, here's this, and then oh we're gonna take these select songs from ten albums and yeah, change them to weird. fit the time. Weird. But now let's talk about you. You want to talk about like the all like the darker stuff in the in the lyrics, right? Well, there's some there's some darker stuff that they go into. I mean, uh, let's see here. Um, 
let me see if I can find. I can't remember which song it was I was looking at. They've got they go into all sorts of different sci-fi realms and stuff like that with their. Oh yeah, that's their, their lyrics, whole everything. That's kind of their whole thing. Well, on this, yeah, on the secret treaties, is this telling the story of this girl Susie? Because her she's mentioned in a couple of different songs. Uh, that's part of the Imaginos that's story. The Imaginos she's a character okay. that runs through it. Okay, Susie is one of the characters, right? And mm-hmm. then there's like yeah. a wizard. Am I, am I getting that right? I don't understand. Uh, Some of, and then there's the extraterrestrial intelligence song, ETI. Mm-hmm. That's off Agents of Fortune, and that one's got like a lot of weird stuff on it. That's also got Don't Fear the Reaper. So, yeah, that one's got Don't Fear the Reaper on right. it. But also has like the revenge of Vera Gemini, which is <laughs> just very weird. The way these albums are put together, and some of them are you're boned like a saint with the consciousness of a snake. What? <laughs> yeah, I, some I have no. I don't even know how to describe what that is. Yeah, but there's a that's, lot. Well, that's, this is, a, that's an area where my brain doesn't go to. I don't know. This is really some of this stuff is just really weird. Uh, some people would probably just say it's a uh, some sort of artistic way of writing, describing it and using metaphor and everything else. But well, I mean, my, after my, after seeing that, um, you know, anything can be used interpreted esoterically. Right, talk about like any hand, any hand anybody makes any hand sign they're clearly a mason. But um, any hand sign there's no way at when your body is at rest that you can hold your hands anywhere close to one another without it being a deeply alchemical cabalic hand symbol. <laughs> That's why I sit in a T pose at all times. That's right. Keep your hands apart. Hands you can hold your arms up that long. No, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's a lot harder than you think to just hold your arms out no, for a long easy, period of time. Your arms actually are, you know, they weigh something, and then the air, you know, don't forget gravity. Oh, wait a minute, there's no gravity is gravity. also from the Kabbalah, right? It's fake, it's fake, gravity is not real. No, it's not. You can't prove to me that there is a force, an invisible force called gravity. Nope, can't. But what I can show you is buoyancy and density. Anyway, that's a whole other show and a whole other argument. Um, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to listen to a song. Eric, did you pick a song out? Yeah, it's in the uh, chat, the chat there, there. Where it's right above that uh, quote there. What is it called? <laughs> it it's right underneath it. It's Blue Oyster Cult's Godzilla. It's a live live. Movie. Oh, live Godzilla. Yeah. Cool. Live. Hell yeah. yeah. All right. So it's not it's not the Sepultura song Biotech is Godzilla. No. Okay. No. What he clearly said Blue Oyster Cult Godzilla Live. Why would it be Sepultura? I don't know, but I re-listened to Chaos A D recently and mm-hmm. it's a freaking fabulous album. Yeah. Max Kellyer. Lyrics suck, but like, oh, music's well, really good. <laughs> no, Max Kellyer can play the shit out of that guitar, and and the grooves that they, they come up with are great. I don't particularly care for his, his lyrical stylings either, but let's listen to the Blue Oyster Cult, and we'll be back. You're right. 
everybody we're back this is still the paranormies i'm still johnny monoxide with dogbot jack and eric heathnet we are talking about the blue oyster cults esoteric and occult ties and lyrics and weird stuff and symbolism and but um what makes what makes them any different than say like kiss or another band that does you know weird shit like that I don't think there really is much difference musically um, when it comes to no, no, no not musically, but like the, the like the occult and the symbolism. Stuff. Yeah, I don't feel that uh, Kiss was necessarily as overt when it came to occult symbolism. I mean, the Blue Oyster Cult kind of put it right there in your face. If you knew what you were looking looking at, it was right there. It was it wasn't hidden in mm. at least on the when it comes to cover cover art and everything else. Oh no. And even lyric wise <laughs> as well, they would put things in there that might shock you if you actually listened to what the lyrics were saying. Because God only knows there was a song recently that I'd been singing for years that I was singing the words wrong. <laughs> Was and it, it was it was, was the it bad song, when you figured uh, out what astronomy. It was? Oh, really? It was astronomy. You were singing it wrong. Yeah, because I thought the line was some uh, call me Casanova, and I thought that was weird. I was like, that's a weird line. No, it's Destinova, which is a reference to the Imagino story. Mm. I would have had no idea until I started doing research on this that I was singing that line wrong. Did James sing it wrong? No, he did sing it right. Okay. 
Okay, so you were okay. But it was it was I thought, like I was gonna try and blame it on him to save you a little bit, but no, it's your fault. No, it was just it was just my laziness of not actually looking up the lyrics. It goes, that sounds like he's saying that, so I'm just gonna. I mean, not actually looking at the karaoke when you're doing the karaoke. Yeah, exactly right. Right. But yeah, like um, they, not many bands at that time, especially in the '70s, were talking about H.P. Lovecraft. Like you had Sabbath and Blue Cult. That was pretty much it. Right, and because, Sabbath I mean, was doing. He wasn't as well known. Right, well, and Sabbath was doing like, like heavy metal. They were, you know, what I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Blue Oyster Cult was more, um, rock, just good old rock and roll. You know, with a oh for sure. Yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty darn good actually. Some of the music that now that I listen to it, I'm like, wow. Because all I, I know is you know, like all I know is is uh, don't fear the reaper. You know, right. And, and that one, that one part, and then it gets kind of heavy at the end there, as, as heavy as they're going to get, you know, but um, I always kind of thought the rest of the music kind of had to be like that. Yeah, it I, kind of is, but I think it's funny that, oh, but it's not bad. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, done. I think it's, fu- no, not bad at all. I think it's funny that uh, the guy who did that Imaginos documentary uh, was talking about how the Imaginos album was more metal than what they did previously. And me personally, I kind of find that funny because they had way heavier stuff musically. And there was a lot of stuff on Imaginos that kind of was dancey. Hmm. So I, I would, it's just, it's kind of weird, especially the version of astronomy that's on, uh, Imaginos is very hard for me to listen to just because <laughs> I'm so used to the original one. And I'm like, why does it sound dancey? Well, that was because Sandy Perlman was trying to Sandy Perlman was trying to make everything pop. Uh, yeah, now, making it fit in with the current musical climate of what was that eighty eight. So yeah, that would have yeah. probably fit right in. Yep. Now, Imaginos is a story like, um, but it's taken from. It's supposed to be a cohesive story that's taken from like what, like four different albums. Um, was it four different albums? Or was it three? It's, was it just across the three uh, that the the black and white trilogy, or was it across like more albums? No, it was secret treaties, agents of fortune, specters. I think they had some on that one. Um, let me see here. Yeah, are you ready to rock? Was supposed to fall into that somehow. Um. There, there was a bunch of them that were going to be reworked into what was supposed what was supposed to be a three part album. Uh, um, it was um, Imaginos was the what the final um, the final um, product was called, but uh, it was going to be split up over three albums, and I'm trying to remember what those three albums were. Um, I think it was Albert Bruchard who I sent you those links to earlier has done two of them so far Um, why am I drawing a blank on what those are called of course it doesn't have his discography on here that sounds about right Um, but yeah it was going to be it was going to be three different albums 
the main one, which is what we got, was going to be the first part, which is the story of uh, Imaginos or um, Destinova, as he would be called later in the story. But it's a it was a sto- it was a story based on poems written by Sandy Perlman. And I'm not even sure when he started working on these, but I would assume in the late 60s is probably when he started working on those. Hmm. You know what's funny? And I hate to, to like change the subject, but uh, the comparison of, of uh, the Blue Oyster Cult shows to Nazi rallies, mm-hmm. I think that's hilarious. Um, because... I mean, for a long time, you know, people said that like Mick Jagger stole some of his stage moves from Hitler, uh, from mm-hmm. Hitler films and whatever. So, I mean, I guess I never saw I never saw Hitler dancing around like gyrating his crotch. But I mean, I, I suppose. But um, yeah, Jim Morrison also supposedly like took some cues from that. So, I mean, that, you know, that would be that would be weird if that pop song was called "I Got Moves Like Hitler." I got moved. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty. That's be pretty awesome. funny, dog. Would actually be awesome, but um, yeah. So Perlman kind of went along with that and decided to go even further by putting the uh, what is it that that symbol of Saturn cross that they have um, on banners on either side of the stage, kind of like Nazi rally flags, right? And it kind of that super backfired, and a lot of people got pissed. Um, yeah, they uh, they changed it after someone at a cr- at a show Z hiled them. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny. That's pr- that's actually pretty funny. But they got they got really like a lot of pr- bad press. And again, you know, you don't, nobody here said anything though. This is like, you know, what year is this? What year was this? Uh, when was Secret Treaties? What year was Secret Treaties? Secret Treaties was seventy three or seventy four. Okay. So we're talking the mid seventies, right? Mid seventies, and they have these Nazi fascist aesthetics at their at their concerts, and they have their Nazi fascist aesthetics in Messerschmitts on their album covers, and no one's kvetching about the Holocaust in the early to mid seventies. Hmm, weird, because it hadn't been beaten in their heads yet. You at least like, especially considering World War Two, you'd at least think somebody would have said, "Hey, Sandy, don't do. Remember the Holocaust? Aren't your parents survivors? Right? Whatever." That, you know. That's another interesting part from that documentary is they never mentioned that Sandy's parents were Holocaust survivors. Yeah, were they? And I don't know. I mean, I just I made that. No up. Idea. I, I just, I mean, I just made that part up. But like, you know. Like you would, you would I expect. don't remember them even bringing that up, which I think is interesting because usually that's the first thing anyone wants to tell you if they're Jewish is that my great great grandparents survived the Holocaust. Right, right. But yeah, so so he's got a bunch of Nazi stuff, no mention of the Holocaust. Bunch of fascist stuff at his concerts, no mention of the Holocaust. Anyway, I just I just found that interesting. Um, and there's actually zero mention of the Holocaust in his early life either on uh, on Wikipedia. That's very oh, interesting. Here's what he said. Oh, so Alan Lanier, who's uh, the dead keyboardist and sometimes a guitarist, mm-hmm. said the Nazi connection was a metaphor for negative imagery. Rock and roll lives off a of false imagery. 
Okay, we've dropped all of that because it wasn't amusing anymore. It was just an in-joke that had run its course. Huh. It's just an in-joke. The Nazi thing was just an in-joke. Ha ha, very funny. Ha ha. Yeah, Perlman said... They get away with it because his last name's Perlman. Well, Perlman said, we mine the vein created by Nazi artists. The Doors did that. The Velvet Underground certainly did, and it'll be done again. We're more obsessed with the technology of the matter. We utilize the symbols in alchemy like lead, the most debased metal, Saturn, and the Greek symbol, also the same chaotic associations. It's become a swastika substitute, not as old, but enough to have a venerable history. Wow, Cindy. Nice verbal IQ. Very slick. But he's telling yeah, that you was that a really they, interesting quote when they when they played. I think they played that from an interview when he mentioned that. Yeah. In the uh, in the documentary, that was kind of an interesting take. That that he goes into symbolism. Sign of Saturn would be like that. Yeah, and in the next in the next paragraph, he starts talking about like the the vocabulary which you can communicate with a large audience, you know, without having to say anything. And he starts talking about symbolism. Oh wow, what a surprise! And symbolism, how you how can you use symbolism to manipulate crowds? And, it's no wonder the Jewish guy knew all that. Yeah. Talking about alchemy and and uh, mind control and whatever the hell else uh, domination submission is supposed to mean. Yeah, if that it was is, the weirdest song uh, on that album that I listened to today. It was. Yeah, I was weird. reading through the lyrics on that. I was like, oh wow, because immediately you think. Like sadomasochism is what you're thinking when you first read it, or read them at first. Then you then you think about it, and what's the uh, what's the metaphor that he's using there? And it could be all sorts of things, really. Yeah, it's it's it it could be. It's like again, it's like um, you know, there's the 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 people read the lyrics and they get what they get out of it and that's the profane it's just you know the the layer level 1 and then if you're woke if you're like in, you know initiated uh into whatever whatever Mr. Perlman is is you know group he's trying to talk to um they get other meanings out of it you know it's kind of like that saying that uh D Snyder said to Tipper Gore during the PMRC hearings is like she wanted to see this and that's what she saw on it if someone else is looking for something else, they'll find something else. Just depends on how the words are written. Right. Right. No, I mean, I don't think Ozzy, you know, Ozzy's song actually caused that kid to kill himself. I don't believe that. No, definitely right. not. Yeah. Probably his abusive stepfather. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Man, I'm looking at this picture of the Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, this is Blue Oyster Cult on Eaton's neck. And they're all, each of them... Are holding a guitar that today is worth probably fifty thousand dollars a piece. Ouch! Yeah, that uh, the SG and then the one in the back is the whole the the got that gold top the gold Les top Paul Deluxe that he's sitting there. And, yeah. Oh man! And that, what is that? A guild? Yeah, and it's a guild. The red one. That's a guild. Oh jeez. Like, yeah. These things are all ridiculous. That SG in the front though. Oh. That's probably he probably got it for like three hundred bucks, probably. Right back then, yeah, the Bigsby and everything. No, he probably didn't even pay for him. No, Sandy, probably not. Sandy probably did. It. Depending on what air, yeah. 
But oh, so man. they go they go all the way from Nazi Germany type stuff to UFOs with uh, ETI there, that one song mm-hmm. ETI, which is extraterrestrial intelligence. Yeah, they jumped away from all that stuff once they hit Agents of Fortune in '76. Mm. Well, Agents of Fortune is more... where that's, that's the one that had that on there. It's the one, two, three, four, fifth song. Yep. And then and Spectres. Then have, uh... Inspectors is where they they got Godzilla, and mm-hmm. that's another, yeah, we just played that. But um, Nosferatu, you know, the vampire song. And every album they they have like they have weird songs. Monsters, Fallen Angel. Yeah. And then look at some of the people they had writing lyrics for them. There was Richard Meltzer. They had uh, Michael Moorcock putting uh That's a terrible of, name. That is a it horrible is, name terrible to have to go name. through That's life. It's like with. I, I would I would be going by a stage name if that was my name. Well he it'd be a pen name because he's an author. Whatever. Well what well, <laughs> whatever. But, dude, like these albums. If you read these, these these read like like chapter titles to a weird fantasy book. The it's got a sun jester. It's got a song called the Marshall Plan. Yeah, what's that about? So let, let's look. The Marshall Plan. Listen, I, I as a uh, as an illustrator. I found the first three album covers to be very, very interesting. I very much liked uh, the first album cover where it had the symbol in the background and and like all the, it looked like a floor full of doors. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I guess it was called like the hot rail to hell that was supposed to be down the middle. That's what I was told it was supposed to be. And uh, I, I also very much liked I also very much like the second album with the ziggurat uh, uh, on the album cover, sort of like a ziggurat that leads up to their symbol, I guess, being broadcast. Yes, uh, with, with the everywhere cross as and a, yeah, yeah. As illustrations, those are both really cool geometric illustrations. It seemed like something that an architect would draw um, in his spare time. You know. These are really cool. It's kind of MC Escher esque, a little bit. A little bit. The third one was uh, definitely very uh, tongue in cheek and referential with the Messerschmitt uh, jet and the, the guys hanging out. One of them's wearing a cape, you know, so they're, I guess, they're supposed to be kind of like super villains. And that, that, that was some of the, that was some of the uh, ongoing theme I noticed with this band was. Their their entire uh, their entire image in the seventies, and I didn't know this because I only knew them from a Saturday Night Live skit. Uh, apparently, their image were these uh, sort of biker villain bad boys. Yeah, you they know? were a pseudo biker yeah. gang yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, with the, but none of them owned a motorcycle. Wow, that, that's. I mean, no, I'm just saying problematic. Probably that's what year did Easy Rider come out? I'm just wondering if they were kind of playing off of that. 70 something. Jack, what year did Easy Rider come out? Uh, It was the 70s. That's the Henry Fonda or Peter Fonda. (laughs) Henry Fonda. Peter Fonda and uh, 
Shit. Was Steve McQueen was dead. Robert Redford? Yeah, I think it was Robert Redford. Anyway. Um, so, they, like I said, they their lyrics, they run the gamut. And it's a lot of this is Sandy Perlman, but a lot of it isn't. Right? I mean... Yeah, once you get into uh, Agents of Fortune, if I remember correctly, I don't think he... Oh, he did have on the... Which one was... I'm trying to remember which album it was that they told him that's enough and we're going to just start writing our own. It might have been Cultosaurus Erectus might have been the first one that they did without him. Um, which, funny enough, was right about the time that they really blew up in their early 80s with MTV with songs like Burning For You, which was a very, very big hit. And it was actually a... Top 40 hit. Yep. I just remembered I know that song, too. Okay. So I know two, three, Godzilla. I know of three Blue Oyster Cult songs. Definitely. Most people don't even realize that's Blue Oyster Cult if they're used to uh, Don't Fear the Reaper. It just sounds completely different from that, so they wouldn't even put two and two together. Well, there, there are a couple songs on Secret Treaties when I was listening today. I was like, wait, I've heard this before. I don't think I've heard anything off other than astronomy, which because Metallica played it. Other than that, I don't think I recognized anything off of that album, to be honest. But let's let's talk about um, some more uh, of the esoteric stuff. Come on, that's why we're here. This is what the show's all about. Let's talk about the what's so what what's the spoofy side? of this now like what are we what are we missing here i think the spoopy side is mainly the uh just the weird esoteric lyrics that they would write with i don't know if there's i mean i haven't really heard of them necessarily doing anything that at least them personally as far as i know they didn't do any uh, like blood sacrifices or any weird, uh, you know, like forest ritual stuff. Anything? Not as far as I know. I think they said that one of the it might have been Albert was a, into the occult a little bit, but it was mainly Meltzer and uh, Sandy that huh. were like the big occult guys. Weird that the two Jewish guys would be the uh, the occultists, right? And then you also have. Um, well, not just being an occultist, but isn't he supposedly responsible for writing the Necronormicon? I mean, the Necronomicon. Yeah, Simon's Necronomicon. Simon's That's, Necronomicon. They, yeah, they said that it seems like it's possible it was him, but of course he denied it. Who? I mean, unfortunately, he's such a a weird guy, and there's not much about him that it's hard to really tell whether he did or didn't uh, do the things that people claim that he did. He's just kind of a weird, I guess, recluse might be a good term. Enigma. Yeah, Enigma, yeah. Yeah, but he's, I mean, they they called him uh, the Hunter S. Thompson of the music industry. So he was like the gonzo producer. So I'm assuming a lot of drugs. Plus, he's Jewish. Yeah, that, so drugs. 
uh, yeah, that, that's what I'm assuming. Like, he might have just been rubbing elbows with the right people. Uh, because, I mean, you look at his production credits. He doesn't have a heck of a lot. He's got maybe 20. Yeah. Um, and very few of them I've heard of. So he wasn't so. the big, he wasn't the studio producer for most of these. He wasn't um, the guy, he wasn't the guy behind all the, the slides and buttons. He produced, uh, the self-titled tyranny and mutations, secret treaties, the live first live album on your feet or on your knees, uh, agents of fortune specters and some enchanted evening. That was the ones in the seventies he did. And then he did Club Ninja and Imaginos. Those were the only the ones that he had produced oh. from them. But he didn't really do anybody else's other than uh, that one Clash album and then a bunch of a bands I've never heard of. Hmm. He must have just known the right people in order to get. Well, that was the thing project. is that Sandy Perlman was like the most connected guy in the New York uh, underground occult rock scene. That was yeah, like just nobody knew who he was connected to, but he was just connected to everybody pretty much. It sure seems like it, but it, you know, looking at his even the Wikipedia on him, it's next to nothing. He has received 17 gold or platinum records. I mean, that's like the awards he's got, just probably from probably Blue Oyster Cold albums from around the world. Um, He's got a few management agencies that are listed here. Mm -hmm. He just seems to be. I mean, it's not like, like you these said, guys, an enigma. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's not like these guys caused any sort of um, massive movement. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they were like the Beatles or anything, you know? No. It, yeah. It's, that's the thing that's weird about it is I feel they could have been bigger probably should have been bigger with all the connections and everything else that their manager had. But for some reason it just didn't take off. Huh. I mean, it they had hits, but like you said, the average person knows one or two songs. Hmm. Well, the average person only knows like one or two songs from any band to be honest. I mean, to be that's fair. a fair point. Yeah. Unless they're like a fan of the band. Um, so, all right. So, what else? What else are we gonna do, guys? We got more. We got more spoopy blue oyster cult stuff. Lyrics, or I mean, I mean, we can go. We can go through a little bit on the on Imaginos and talk about yeah, what it look, is. Like that's a very weird concept for a guy who isn't even in the band and him talking somehow talking five New York guys into telling his story. Yeah. So that's. But he kind of harvested all the songs for Imaginos off of different albums, right? So they had already written these songs and played these songs, Did, and then they re-recorded them for Imaginos? Is that how it worked? I believe so. I think there's a, a couple songs on here, if I remember correctly, that were actually things that maybe they were rewritten or renamed for this album. So they, they kicked a guy out of the band that for uh, getting in an argument with one of the other band members' wives, and the guy was going through a divorce. I forgot which one it was, but apparently he was overbearing in the studio, 
And the reason he was overbearing in the studio is because he was spending copious amounts of time in the studio because he was going through a divorce. So he was learning a lot about actually producing and everything. So when they would come in to work on it, the other band members would come in to work on an album and they were having issues with some of the ins and outs of what to do with a certain track or a certain part of a song. He always had all these solutions immediately because he had been immersed in the studio. And so these guys sort of just got a bent out of shape, but they kicked him out. And Sandy got a hold of him. And he helped make him the demo for Imaginos. This would be Albert Bouchard. Yeah. And so, and around 88 or so, then they, uh, Perlman managed to con the record company into putting out the Imaginos album. And it didn't have very, very many members of Blue Oyster Cult at all. It had a whole lot of, uh, guest appearances. It was just riddled with guest appearances. Uh, all the, like, even like Joe Satriani showed up, uh, but Joe Satriani was sort of a studio guitarist guy anyway. And basically, uh, there are only like three pre-existing songs, but the rest of it was stories to talk about, uh, uh, so- story songs to tell the story of the random access history of this Imaginos character that Perlman had invented a long time ago. Yeah. Cause the song blue oyster cult was actually, what was that called? It was off of, I'm trying to remember what it was off. One of the first three albums, it was called something else. I can't remember what in the world it was called. I'm drawing a blank on that at the moment. Um, but yeah, there, uh, Joe Satriani played on one. Robbie Krieger from the doors played on two songs. um, so Aldo. what is this, what is the story of Imaginos? Yeah, tell the us the story of, of Imaginos. Okay. The story of Imaginos started with a bunch of poems that Sandy Perlman wrote, uh, according to this, in the mid-60s, while he was studying anthropology and sociology at Stony Brook University. Um, com- it says, combined with cultural references learned in his studies and with elements of gothic literature and science fiction and, and created a, and well, that's weirdly written, created a secret history about the origins of the, two, of the two world wars. Perlman himself declared his predilection to weird American weird fiction, like HP Lovecraft and writers of his, or of that ilk. Um, also had, um, an obsession with modern warfare and conspiracy theories, as we mentioned earlier. Um, let's see here. Um, come on. Where? I literally just lost it. Uh, they, um, they adapted and amended rhymes of Perlman's stories. It's just a, it's a weird story about a man named Imaginos who goes through or finds out that he's this magical character of some kind. I can't even really remember exactly how it was worded. Um, And he see, it's very similar to the way that I 
way he's described is very similar to like Nyarlathotep. He's a kind of can shape shift into different people and is different characters throughout this album. So he may start out as himself as Imaginos at the beginning. All of a sudden he's maybe this cowboy or something riding through the desert in, in Texas or wherever, wherever the, neck, the tracks go. Then he ends up basically being saved by a cult, which I guess is supposed to be the like what's supposed to be like the blue oyster cult, I guess. And he becomes a a basically becomes like the pro- prophesized uh, person that this cult is looking for, named Destinova. And the it's it's a kind of convoluted story. It's kind of hard to just say it all out at, at one period of time. But it is a long, it's kind of long-winded. I think the guy explained it in like 30 minutes in the documentary, what the story was about. But it's a weird science fiction story about a guy who... It has the ability to change many things and influence many things. And apparently it was supposed to be like his influence was going to be responsible for both world wars and all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah. One of the gists that I got was that he came across some kind of, uh, he came across some kind of magic here in uh, in North America through uh, the Aztecs or something like that. He found like some obsidian black mirror mm-hmm. and uh, he used the, the, he used the powers of the obsidian black mirror to travel across time. And uh, with his ability to travel across time, it started to transform him as a person. And he started having all these evil designs of how to push uh, mankind into a violent future so he was the he was the cause of both world wars and that that's why there's lots of references to dresden and germany bombing stuff and um it was sort of a way it, you know it was sort of a way of um sandy being able to tie together his personal affinity for both world war Two. Uh, weapons of war and HP Lovecraft stuff, which he was desperately trying to rip off. I, I think like, I think he even had a sort of rip off of the old ones, the deep, the, the deep, the old ones of the deep. Mm-hmm. And he the called them like, ones. yeah. And, and yeah, called them the invisible oyster people or something like that. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he has a song where he, talks about ladies, fishes, and gentlemen or something. It's a it's a really weird line that he uses in one of the songs on there that's very much makes you think he's ripping off Lovecraft when he's trying to like he's trying to communicate with beings under the water or something. Mm. Yeah, all, a lot of his stuff it looks like it's ripped off from Lovecraft. Like if Lovecraft, uh, here's, here's was, a, if Lovecraft was in yeah, Germany. Here's some of the. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. Go, go ahead. 
Here's some of the stuff from the album liner notes or something. Uh, Imaginos, a random access myth. History is a dream here in the realm of Imaginos. Access to the dream is not in order. In a dream, there is no time but evermore. If there is no time, there is no order. In the saga of Imaginos, between the extremes of the beginning and the end, everything happens all at once. Without a sequence of events, there is a rush of events. The rush of events is a horror. This is the key. <laughs> like this, this is how every uh, this is how every prog song sounds to me. Pretty much. I mean, most of Rush sounds like that. Uh, just add some more overt Freemasonic references, and you have uh, Dream Theater. Find the time inside yourself and hide from the mysteries. Please don't do that again. I'm asking you nicely. Don't do that again. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, God. That hurt, but it hurts because it's funny and true at the same time. Yeah. Getty Lee is terrible. Okay, I don't care what anybody says. He's got a terrible voice. Like, But it works. Okay. I mean implying that rush is good but yeah i mean they're, they're talented like, musicians stop dude no don't do that no 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 stop no no come on man they're a top three favorite band for me so i i i laugh because oh, are, it's true are they really it also top, hurts. really top three favorite no band? it's all good it's all good oh, I, I mean i, I don't care because like, i don't fan too I don't, so it is what it is look dude i i yeah i i like well, he also God. said dream theater <laughs> no i was just yeah i, I I like you said Dream Theater. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of Dream Theater. Yeah, I was a fan of Dream Theater. I'm a fan of John Petrucci's. I'm jealous of John Petrucci's skills. Let's just say that. Um, but I mean, he's clearly sold his soul or something. Or, I don't know. But uh, bodybuilding, guitar shredding, Jesus—that's basically what he looks like right now. Oh, is he back on the steroids? I, if he's not, I don't know what the hell he's on. His okay. muscle, like he goes out there, and I don't know what what size shirt he's wearing. It's got to be like one of those, like they jokingly call them, medium t shirts or whatever. Mm-hmm. His arms look like they're about to burst out of the sleeves of his shirts. It's crazy. Well, he's he's only like five three. He's like he's like Joe Rogan. He's like little and muscular. Like if I actually went to the gym, I would look like that too. I don't have time anymore to go to the gym, but yeah. Um, it's the soft white underbelly. Right, 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 as opposed to the hard white underbelly. Um, but no, yeah, they do. I mean, the Blue Oyster Cult, because the Sandy Perlman, I have all this esoteric stuff and all this occult stuff and all this symbolism. And you had the, the uh, what the hell is his name again? The artist, Gary something, Gary... There's another Jewish name. Oh, fuck, what was his name? I just I just had it when I yeah, said it. I can't remember. I even said it, and now I can't remember. Uh, do, 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 where is it at? Of course, really? Oh, there it is. Um, Bill Gawler. No. That was his name. Bill Gawler, not Gary. Yeah. Where the fuck did I get Gary from? Who's this Gary character? Anyways. <laughs> Your son, Gary... No, nobody. I was scrolling. I was scrolling through the self-titled Wikipedia, and it got to covers, and I was like, "Oh, it's going to tell me who did the cover." And no, it's talking about cover versions of the song, and it yes. screwed me up. Bill Golick. Bill Golick was yeah the guy who did all the the weird MC Escher architectural looking very like for the time, um, 
Very interesting artwork. And then it's funny because like the first two are like very, very much done with very sharp edges and very sharp drawings. Uh, and the third one, it's kind of all like smudgy. A distinct difference in art styles from the first two. Yeah, those album covers, you're not going to walk into a record store in 72 or 73 and go, oh, I didn't realize you if you knew the album, you, that was the you couldn't miss it. It wouldn't be mixed up with something else. Right, right. Well, the difference between the third one and the first two is 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 contextual. It, it's it's it. So, it you can look at the third one and see that the same artist from the other two drew it. It's just he's going for a more, uh, he's going for a more pseudo realistic through through pencil sketch style. There, you know, he's not using. I don't he's know. not using a ruler and ink and pen and ink. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know that if you but, took the pictures, just took the Blue Oyster Cult thing off there, and you put them, and you showed somebody who'd never seen him before. I don't think you you would get that the third one was done by the same artist that did the first two. I'm going to disagree with that. Uh, also, in the liner notes on Imaginos, I thought this was pretty weird. Uh, on an old family farm in New Hampshire. In the first quarter of the 19th century, a child has been delivered of a mother. He is charmed, not ordinary. He is a modified child. He will live out his life in the presence of another world. He will be the agent of the invisible ones. The, the destiny they plan for him will be exalted. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, they went to a... Went to a uh, one of those little paperback spinny things at the the drugstore. Grabbed a couple of fantasy books, skimmed through them, and kind of came up with some lyrics. Yeah, it's like a fantasy or sci-fi messiah sort of a thing, except it gets way darker. <laughs> yeah, and then of course, and of course, you have all the the you, you know you have this Saturn tie in there with the the hook cross. Uh, or like uh, when the Spaniards came to to uh, North America, uh, the the New World sucked to them. It was uh, it was anti Genesis. It was anti Eden, seat of evil, pit of darkness. <laughs> Say you know, weird because of all their all their sacrificing and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They also. Uh... They cut it from the album, but there is a version out there of the uh, opening track with a spoken word intro from Stephen King, huh? Which I have not actually listened to the whole thing. There's a quick clip of it in the in the documentary where he talks about they had uh, the intro to the album had a spoken word version from Stephen King, but at that point. Did anyone really know what Stephen King sounded like? Probably not. I mean, in 88, unless you'd seen. I'm trying to think of what the what's the Stephen King movie where it's a bunch of short. Is it Creepshow? Uh, yeah, he also starred in Creepshow. Yeah, he was the uh, he was the guy who got all. He's the farmer. Who touched, yeah, he was the farmer who touched the meteorite. Yeah, yeah. and he became a plant. Yep. 
like that might be the only reference you'd have of his voice if, at that point. I, I, I mean, don't mean to ruin that the that you know that short, but he uh, he redacts himself. At the end. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's not a book; it's a graphic novel. Creep show. Well, wasn't it just like old comics, and they decided to turn it into a, a movie, two movies, TV show? No, creep show is movies. It was an yeah. anthology. Did film, they make like a, a second one? Yeah, they, they made, made a second creep show. It yeah, sucked. It was, yeah, it was terrible. They were like, oh, like, I've only seen like the one. first one. Yeah, the first one was good. Second one sucked. But there were a couple. The 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 lake one was good in the second one, but that's it. I just remember him getting plantified, and then that one guy getting weeds. hit in the head with a that was weed with a uh, ashtray. In that from that one, it's the I want my cake or whatever it is. That guy. Uh, I think so, man. It's been forever since I've seen that. Because I think it's his wife or whoever hits him in the head with the and kills him with the uh, ashtray, and then he comes back to life and kills her. Yeah. Huh. Oh, dude, something to tide you over. That one always gives me like the yeah. That's where the guy's buried up to his neck, and the tide comes in. Yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like that much. Nope, nope. I don't like that at all. I like I like the cannibal ape in the cage. As the crate. That one was the crate. Yeah. Yeah. No, Creep Show was great, man. That was like like eighties. Is nineteen eighty three? Eighty two? Eighty two. Um and dude, this is like classic horror, eighties horror. You know, you had Stephen King wrote it and George Romero directed it. It wasn't overly gory like things would eventually become. It just it was just creepy. The name fit it. Yeah. You know, it was uh Stephen King um were I guess they made the, the comic at the same time, I guess. But they're all there's a couple of them were from short stories and they were um they were written to be like comic stories. They're paying homage to the uh to the EC horror comics in, in the nineteen fifties. So Yeah, and it's probably what led to Tales from the Crypt and that sort of thing later on. Oh absolutely. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt is definitely definitely got its roots in uh in Creep Show. Dude, are you in are are you in a, being attacked by a swarm of bees right now? Oh, the heater kicked on. Uh it's been quiet this whole time and then now all of a sudden it kicks on. Uh freaking heater it's always something always something making a noise well all right well, so are we done with blue oyster cult and sandy pearlman uh, do we do we milk that do we milk that pearl for as much as we could i mean i'm trying to find more on sandy and there isn't really anything it is it's very odd that someone who was so high up in the music industry there's really nothing about him. Hmm. Well, kind of weird. I mean, there's a lot on the band, but on this guy in particular, it's because there, when you look, read the stuff on the band for the most part, it's just kind of like, yeah, they were a band from New York, had some hits. Yeah, I guess nothing yeah. really weird. But then, but then you really look at him and they're like all this Nazi and HP Lovecraft stuff. And yeah, which, Esoteric makes you immediately 
well, if you're like us, yeah, you're like, oh, that's cool. The and Soft Doctrines of the Maginos, a bedtime story for the children of the damned. This is his own words. It's a combination horror story and fairy tale, an interpretation of history, an explanation for the onset of World War One, or a revelation of the occult origins of it. Those are his own words. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's the part that uh, Stephen King was supposed to have read ah. or did read. Because uh, that's the little clip that they play on the documentary is him reading the thing about the I can't, yeah, what you just read. I can't even remember the words. Well, very strange guy, very strange band. Never knew that they were like this, really. For a time, they were like a biker band, and then for a little while, they looked like they were trying to be like spacemen in a couple of their photo shoots. It was weird. Yeah, they they did, uh, they were even recorded on their first live album. They did a uh, recording of Born to be Wild. So yeah, they were at that point when they did on your feet or on your knees. It was they were still doing the biker thing a little bit, hmm. but it wasn't nearly as prominent at that point because when that came out, it was well, it was right after Secret Treaty. So yeah, they might have still been doing a little bit of the biker stuff. Right on, dude. Um, I think that these guys. I think we milk this one for as much as we can. I think. Other than yeah, other than Sandy Perlman, more. I know. Other than Sandy Perlman working with Black Sabbath, and again, it was the Dio Black Sabbath, so not even good Black Sabbath. There are people who would fight me. Over Whoa, that hold on, hold, hold on. <laughs> you like you hey. guys both like the Dio Black Sabbath, don't you? What's wrong with the Dio Black Sabbath? It's not Black Sabbath. I like Why? all Black Sabbath. I like the Tony Martin Black Sabbath. <sighs> yeah. It's still not Black Sabbath, though. I don't know. I mean, nobody Tony. says that the Mike Patton Faith No More isn't uh, Faith No More. What? They had different singer for two albums before Mike Patton became the singer. Nobody, so, nobody knows that though, and nobody else cares about that. Their first hit, "We Care a Lot," had the other singer. I mean, by a hit, you mean wasn't anything at all like epic no but few songs were few songs except for like smells <laughs> like teen spirit were as popular as epic was right but i wouldn't exist to call we care a lot a hit because it really wasn't until afterwards really i mean i don't remember like maybe i guess you could call that a hit wasn't that popular i don't know i guess uh-oh. It's like well, look, saying, well like saying, Mike like, Patton. There's nothing hold, wrong with the Dio. There's nothing wrong with the Dio Black Sabbath. No, it's not. It's just not Black Sabbath. I mean, I mean, ju- I, I mean, like I can, I can absolutely argue that Van Halen got better with Sammy Hagar. I'm not going to disagree. I don't, I don't, I don't care either way with Van Halen. But like with Ozzy Osbourne is Black Sabbath. Like it's, it's Ozzy Osbourne, Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, like Bill Ward. The end. Sorry, I mean, like you replace Ozzy, it becomes another band. Like having Mike Patton come in at, on the third album is not the same because who's the first singer? It's not Ozzy Osbourne. The end. Like that's the end of that argument. 
Well, Dio's a good singer. You know, I like I like I like his voice. You know, uh, but you know, whatever. It's just sorry. Yeah, my my dad actually saw that tour, that black and black blue? and blue tour in '80. That's cool. I had to actually look up. I was like, "What date did that fall on?" And I'm like, "Oh, there it is, right there." That's really cool, though. Yeah, your dad got to see that. That was Sandy Perlman's. He was managing both bands. Mm-hmm. He put the whole thing together. He managed both bands specifically to do that so that he could specifically do a black and blue tour. Interesting. And one thing, one thing that they keep bringing up is they go that they th- they keep saying that uh, Blue Oyster Cult was like America's um, answer to Black Sabbath. Right. I think they're more like America's answer to Uriah Heep, but Uriah Heep's not nearly as big as Black Sabbath. But the only reason I say that is because Uriah Heep had five members that all could sing, which Blue Oyster Cult also had. Oh, yeah. And so Sabbath is just kind of, they're kind of heavy, but I mean, even musically, Blue Oyster Cult's probably closer to Uriah Heep than Sabbath. They're closer to a lot of other bands than Sabbath. Sabbath is just the the originators of the slow, sludgy stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, The Mastodon drummer becoming the singer was a twist I didn't expect early on listening to Mastodon. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's always weird when the drummer's the singer. Yeah, Genesis or the Eagles, both those bands had drummers that sang as well. Don Henley and Phil Collins, yeah. But like, well, I mean, yeah, but like Phil Collins is Phil Collins. I don't know. Like yeah. it's not like it's not like he's playing anything super technical. You know. Not while he's singing, no. Right. Because after after uh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Peter Gabriel Peter left. Gabriel, yeah. He yeah, everything went a little less technical at that mm. point. Yeah, it was, it was a different band when Peter Gabriel was in there. All right, we're not doing we're, we're, no, we're just music posting again. <laughs> I was getting ready to ask you if they should have changed the name. Changed the name? Well, I mean, Genesis with you, it's, Genesis with Phil Collins is pretty much indistinguishable from Phil Collins' solo stuff. That's true. That's very true. It's still good, though. No, it's not bad at all. I, I grew up, you know, um, my stepmother listened to Prince and... and uh, and Phil Collins and all that eighties pop that actually had musicians that could play. What did they do to get that drum sound in the air at night? Yeah, why why do those drums sound so it, freaking incredible? It's just compared that, to I don't know. They do it live they did it live, it sounded like that too. Um I don't know. Just the maybe some effect on the tuning. microphone or something. Yeah. The tuning of the drum. I don't know. It's just it's the I think it's the the tension of the music and just where it is in the song that helps in, in the way it's written into the song itself. Like that has a lot to do with it, as opposed to the actual tone of the drums. And the great thing about that song is, it, the, from the moment it starts, you're waiting for that drum fill. Right, is your whole, how, even all all your life, been waiting. Yeah. All right. That's basically the lyrics to the song. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. It's pretty. Yeah. I was waiting for you guys to catch on to that, but like, whatever. Um, 
pearls before swine sometime, I swear. Anyhow, no, not to Perlman that, before swine. What's that? What's that? Perlman before swine. Perlman before swine. That's right. Yeah. I'll bring it back around. Right. So you got the, it's, it's you know, it's, does nobody think it's weird that the Jew is the guy doing all the esoteric shit? I, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. Oh, and and another thing that was in that documentary is he they mentioned that he was basically a Jewish pagan, which well, was immediately what, followed up with uh, that actually doesn't exist. Yeah, that's what Albert Bouchard had said, or what's which his name? I think is a weird take. Yeah, he's like, well, he seemed like a like a Jewish pagan, which isn't a thing. Like, all right, now you're just making shit up. <laughs> I was like. Um, you don't I need know a source I, on that. Yeah, well, no, I mean, well, he was doing the Nazi LARP, right? He was really into, he was really into, into uh, the Third Reich and everything about it, the aesthetic and apparently the SS and the uh, the Ananerbe stuff too. So, and I guess he was he had been looking into the Thule Society and whatnot. So, which was weird because he's a Jew, right? You know, and apparently, remember, remember the Holocaust. Well, nobody mentions that, not even one time. Yeah, none of the biographies or anything on Sandy talk about it. They don't don't even talk about, like, how disrespectful it is that he was into the Nazi Germany stuff when the Holocaust happened. You know what I mean? Like, you would think there would be some sort of Jewish, like, subterfuge of anger. You know, about that particular... Why was he such a fan of Nazi Germany? Didn't he know six million Jews were exterminated by the man with the little mustache? I don't know. Maybe his family got sent to Madagascar. Nobody got sent to Madagascar except for fucking (laughs) Ben Stiller and uh, Jada Pinkett. And that stupid fucking movie. Was it Eddie Murphy? No, it was Chris Rock. was the zebra. zebra? Yeah. I don't... Wait. What are you guys talking about? Madagascar. Yeah. The, no, the, the, the place. Movie. The movie about the place. They made a movie about Madagascar? <laughs> With Ben Stiller. Yeah. What and was David he doing? Trump, he was uh, dancing and uh, being lost. With Chris Rock? Yes. Who was also being lost. And, yeah. Like, what, what was the premise? Like, what is... What is Ben Stiller and Chris Rock doing in Madagascar? I don't um, understand. They escaping were, a zoo. They were escaping a zoo. Yeah. Why were also people, the uh, were they, also uh, what's his name that was Monica's brother on Friends David Schwimmer was in that as well. Yes, David Schwimmer was also there. He David also Schwimmer, escaped. Yeah. yeah, he was a hypochondriac that escaped with them. He was actually uh-huh. the only Jew that got sent to Madagascar. Yeah, actually, the only Jew that did get sent. You're right. The only Jew that got sent to Madagascar. No, it's, it's uh, Ben Stiller. Oh, and Ben Stiller. Yeah, Ben Stiller and David Schwimmer. 50%. 50% of the cast was Jewish, yeah. And they were put in a human zoo. (laughs) Are you you doing a bit right now? You don't know the movie Madagascar? Oh, my God. It's a kid's movie. They're animals. They're they're voice acting. Oh! That makes a lot more sense. I'm going to ruin the bit because this is the shit that I laugh at while I listen to the show. No, this is fine. And now I'm on the show and I'm laughing while he's doing it. I feel like an idiot. I'm like, I'm ruining it. Everybody's trying to keep a straight face and I can't do it. No, I don't think he knew the movie, Uh, dude. I don't think this part was a bit. Was this a bit? Talk about was it has to be a bit. Come no. on. His kid's too old. I just don't old. understand why there would be a human zoo in Madagascar. <laughs> His kid's too old, so I don't think your kid was into Madagascar, right? 
My kid's four years what? younger than his, and he knows Madagascar. How what, the hell is that possible? What kids are going to be into like a country that is only known for having lemurs and baobab trees? Well, the, the baobab well, tree and the, the lemur are actually key aspects to this movie. The lemur is actually another Jew. A bunch of Jews live in Madagascar, actually. Think, kind of think about it. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Is, is, okay, so oh, now, yeah. so now lemur, lemur is also a subtext for anti-Semitism. Well, because of Sasha Baron Cohen, yes. After the um, ADL listens to this episode, so yes. So Ali G is in Madagascar too. Uh, yes, yes. Ali G, he is King why? Julian. I don't understand He's... the premise of why these random people are they're, in Madagascar. They're voice actors for animal characters, and they get captured and put in a zoo, and they escape. The okay, so Jesus Christ! So Ben Stiller's the lion. Chris Rock is a zebra. David Schwimmer is a giraffe. They okay. Are there any monkeys? Yes, yes. there are chimpanzees, and, and and they didn't make Chris Rock. No, they did the not. He's no, the monkeys actually have. Yeah, he's the zebra. The monkeys actually have like a, a British. They should have made Drake the zebra. Right. Drake's not in it. Drake was currently filming Degrassi at the time, probably. Right. Right. Yes. Anyway. All right, enough enough about my knowledge of these kids' movies. Jesus. Yeah, and my knowledge of Canadian soap operas. Oh, my God. Is that what it was? Was it a soap opera, Degrassi? Pretty much. Yeah, my ex-wife watched that shit all the time. I have no idea what that show is. I've heard of it. I know Drake was on it. That's all I know. I'm glad to keep it that way. Yeah. More crap in my brain than I need to have in there. Yeah. All right, well, listen, let's check it out. We're going to wrap this up because we're getting on. We're getting on and it's late and I did right. get up this morning at three thirty to go to work. I, so. I guess I'll look up this Madagascar fiasco and it's not a fiasco. It's actually pretty funny. Out. It's much like much like uh Jack Black, I can't stand him in his movies, but when he's like the voice of Kung Fu Panda, I don't mind. Same, same Wait, thing with what? Ben Stiller. <laughs> God damn it. Shut up. Just stop. We're gonna finish this up. Stop it. It's, it's oh god. It's a terrible it. bit. It was funny for like a minute, but like when you start going over like five minutes on the bit, dude. Pandas sleep like twenty three hours a day. When did they have time to learn kung fu? Right. That's the. Mo- Anyways, it's a very <laughs> successful movie series. Dogbot, stop being silly. Oh, I thought that was man. just a nickname of a third baseman. All right. Are you done? Now he's bringing up freaking what's his face. No, don't, 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 don't. Pablo Sandoval, (laughs) the fat motherfucker for playing baseball. It's hard to believe how how athletic that fat motherfucker was. Yeah, he played in the National League all the time. I guess that's how you do it. Okay. Well, so, Jack, I'm I'm ending this bit right now. Jack. (laughs) Jack went to sleep. We have (laughs) we have a creepy pasta for you tonight. Uh, Jack already sent it to me, and I can't. I have to open up the emails. But I think it's called "I Hate Elf on a Shelf," so it is a Christmas themed, a Christmas themed creepy pasta for our first December episode. All right. What's next? MMA koala. You're retarded. All right, we're going to get out of here. Uh, Eric, they can catch you on Metal Up Your Fash how often and where? 
Uh, every week we stream live on DLive, uh, DLive.tv slash Hookster. That's on Hook's channel. And uh, we will be doing a show tomorrow night on, as far as I know, it's on Italian metal tomorrow. So oh. that'll be fun. Mamma Mia. Mia metal. That's right. Mamma Mia metal. Jeez. Now are you going to be do doing research on that? That'll are you going to be, be doing any Bronson? It's not really metal, but like a little bit. I'll do. I'm. I'll find some stuff. I don't know. I mean, everybody else seems to have a uh, more have more knowledge on the obscure stuff. Well, I'm, I'm sure. Kind of they. I'm sure that all the um, Casa Pound stuff will be there. Oh yeah, Jugs will bring all that stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. If she. If she's not on there, I'm sure she'll be in the chat throwing out the ideas. If usually it's me that gets stuck, and I just look to the chat and go, "Hey, uh, help!" Yes, yes. And then they throw out some obscure black metal band that's one guy who hasn't put out any an album since like '94 that was recorded <laughs> on a four track. So it'll be fun. Yeah, Judo Badger. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, we're gonna get out of here. I'm going to sleep. We'll see y'all later. Keto weasel. <laughs> Do the thing. Time travel makes you gay. Last year was a nightmare. You might have got the regular elf on the shelves, but us, we got something different. My daughter wrote to Santa last year. Alyssa's short as the elf is tall. She wanted two things: an elf on the shelf and a pony. Suffice it to say, I wasn't going to buy her a pony. We didn't have a paddock, and I didn't have the money or time to care for such a thing. But that didn't stop one from showing up. The elf showed up on December 1st, a ragtag, scruffy thing with burnt clothes, missing one eye, and a wicked grin on its face. My wife said she didn't buy the thing when it turned up on top of our refrigerator. Bella loved it instantly. What could I do? That night leading to December 2nd, we heard something moving around the house. Light went on. I went in to search. I found flowers spread out on the kitchen surface. One of Bella's dolls tied at the wrist and ankles amidst the carnage of white. The elf beside it with a steak knife. Not wanting Bella to see it in the morning, I rearranged the elf in the flower like a snow angel and went back to bed slightly shaken. I couldn't explain it. Over the course of December, I found that horrid thing doing unspeakable things to Bella's other toys. Barbie stripped and hanging from the ceiling fans. Her puppy, Teddy, shaved of its fur. Books shredded and rearranged into a giant figure with a gaping hole in his chest like a wicker man. But on Christmas Day, something more terrifying happened. The pony arrived. A charred brown thing with larvae wiggling in cuttinous tissue along its neck hoofs broken and bleeding. Bella loved it unconditionally. We were horrified. Puzzled by the find, my wife and I returned inside to discuss what we could do. We found the elf up on the Christmas tree, a note in its blackened hands. Dear Bella, Santa has forsaken you, but I didn't. I hope you like my infected pony. He will bring you to me. I have so many more devilish toys to show you. Satan. Cold dread crept up my spine as I raced outside. The pony was nowhere to be found. Fiery hoof prints 
led away from the house and disappeared midway. There's only one thing I want for Christmas. I want my child back. <laughs>